This is a podcast by the Business Times. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the BT Mark to Market podcast. My name is Ben Paul, and I'm a senior correspondent at the Business Times. This series of podcasts, which is based on my weekly column in the Business Times, aims to provide analysis and insight on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. It's early in the month of November 2021, and the topic of REIT mergers is making headlines again. And when I say REIT mergers, I'm referring specifically to the mergers of REITs whose managers are controlled by a common corporate group. By their nature, these sorts of deals tend to be contentious because they are, after all, interested party transactions. But there's been a real uproar about REIT mergers over the last couple of years because the terms of these recent transactions were seen to disadvantage one set of minority investors versus another. In this podcast, I will talk about the latest REIT merger that has been proposed and whether investors should support it. I'll compare it to two other mergers that succeeded and one that didn't and consider the similarities and differences. I will also talk about what could be done to ensure that investors are treated fairly and that the local REIT market remains vibrant. The REIT merger everyone is talking about now is the one involving ESR REIT and ARA Logos Logistics Trust. This transaction was announced on October 15th, but it was actually widely anticipated because the parent groups of these two REITs, namely ARA Asset Management and ESR Cayman, announced plans earlier this year to combine themselves in a multi-billion dollar deal. ESR REIT and ARA Logos are both focused on industrial properties, so it makes sense for them to merge to become a larger entity capable of raising money and acquiring assets on a larger scale. Under the proposed merger, ARA Logos unit holders will receive a consideration of $0.95 per ARA Logos unit, comprising $0.95 in cash and 1.6765 new ESR units priced at $0.51 each. The main similarity between this merger and other proposed mergers over the last couple of years is that minority unit holders of the target REIT, namely ARA Logos, are not happy with the deal. In this case, what they're not happy about is the gross exchange ratio, that is, the relative prices of ARA Logos and ESR REIT units that are being used in the transaction. While ARA Logos is being valued at a 1.6% premium to its market price just before the deal was announced, ESR REIT is being valued at a 9.7% premium to its closing price before the deal was announced. In other words, unit holders of ARA Logos are getting less advantageous pricing of their units versus unit holders of ESR REIT. This has had a very real impact on the market prices of the two REITs. Within one week of the merger announcement, units in ARA Logos lost 5.3% of their market value, while units in ESR REIT gained 2.2%. So why was the exchange ratio under the merger plan so out of whack with the market prices of the two REITs? The manager of ESR REIT explained in a set of FAQs about the deal that among the key considerations in setting the offer price for ARA Logos and the issue price of ESR REIT were the respective 52-week highs of the two REITs and their trading volumes on those days. If you look at their price charts, it's quite obvious that both REITs spiked on September the 2nd. This appears to have been fueled by news reports at the time that 11 Singapore-listed REITs, including ARA Logos and ESR REIT, would be added to the FTSE EPRA NAREIT Global Developed Index. That index inclusion was a very significant development. And as it happened, 
Aralogos closed at 95 cents on September the 2nd, while ESR REIT closed at 51 cents. These are the very same prices used in the merger proposal. In my view, minority unit holders of Aralogos are right to be upset about the relative pricing of the two REITs. The merger terms ought to be based on market prices that reflect the micro-fundamentals of Aralogos and ESR REIT. Instead, the merger terms appear to have been based on their market prices on a day when trading activity was heavily influenced by index changes. The gross exchange ratio implied by the terms of the merger is all the more galling for unit holders of Aralogos, given that Aralogos' portfolio has a higher concentration of new economy-oriented properties than ESR REIT. In fact, Aralogos draws all of its gross rental income from logistics properties. ESR REIT draws only 47% of its gross rental income from logistics and high-spec industrial properties. On top of that, with all the excitement about logistics properties, Aralogos has been performing very strongly. On a year-to-date basis, its unit price had climbed 56% at the point when the merger was announced. ESR REIT has also been running, but it was up a less impressive 18% during the same period. This relatively strong performance of Aralogos is another reason why minority unit holders might not be keen on a merger with ESR REIT. Aralogos is a smaller REIT than ESR REIT. It holds 29 properties and has some $2 billion in assets, whereas ESR REIT has 58 properties and some $3.4 billion in assets. But Aralogos had a market capitalization just prior to the merger announcement of nearly $1.4 billion, not much smaller than ESR REIT's $1.9 billion and sufficiently large to independently pursue acquisitions. More importantly, Aralogos was trading at a lower yield than ESR REIT, 5.1% versus 6.1%. It was also trading at a higher premium to its book value, 39% versus 21%. In short, Aralogos is arguably in a better position than ESR REIT to aggressively tap the market for funds and expand its property portfolio. If Aralogos were to be subsumed by ESR REIT, its ability to compete for in-demand assets on terms that would be immediately accretive to its DPU or distribution per unit might be blunted. So should minority investors of Aralogos support the merger with ESR REIT? What can they do to stop the deal from going through? Why aren't REIT mergers in Singapore being structured fairly for all minority investors? Is the problem the fault of REIT managers or regulators? I'm going to talk about these issues next. If you like what you're hearing so far, please subscribe to the BT Mark to Market podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. And now back to my analysis and insights on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. The main justification for the REIT mergers in the local market is that size matters. When REITs merge, they create a larger entity with a larger and more diverse property portfolio that would offer more opportunity for active management. Larger REITs also tend to have more options when it comes to capital raising, especially on the debt front. This marks an interesting shift in thinking since REITs were first launched in Singapore. The early REITs were usually focused on specific types of assets. For instance, the first REIT to hit the market, Capital Land Mall Trust, was focused on shopping malls. Capital Land Commercial Trust was focused on office buildings. Ascenders REIT concentrated on industrial properties, and so on. Being focused seemed to be more important than size back then, and investors seemed to like having the opportunity to take a view on a particular segment of the property market. 
Even now, that's clearly what's happening at Aralogos. It's smaller than ESR REIT, but investors like its focus on logistics properties. So will a merger that makes it larger and more diverse create value? The evidence from the handful of recent mergers, at least, is unclear. For instance, in January 2020, Capitaland Mall Trust and Capitaland Commercial Trust said they would merge by the former essentially acquiring the latter and renaming itself Capitaland Integrated Commercial Trust, or CICT. Yet since that merger announcement, CMT, which has since become CICT, has delivered a total return of minus 10% on a dividends reinvested basis. To be fair, this week performance was probably because of the pandemic, which has been especially hard on retail property REITs. During the same period, Fraser's Centerpoint Trust, which is another retail property REIT, delivered a total return of minus 9.6%, not much better than CICT. Among office property trusts, Keppel REIT returned minus 2.1%. Meanwhile, the FTSE ST REIT index has returned minus 0.7%. Taking another example, ESR REIT hasn't really performed all that well after merging with Viva Industrial Trust. Since that merger was announced in May of 2018, ESR REIT has delivered a total return of 17.2%. By contrast, the FTSE ST REIT index returned 28.8% on the same basis. Ascenders REIT returned 40.2%, Maple Tree Industrial Trust returned 65.8%, and Maple Tree Logistics Trust returned 94%. The manager of ESR REIT tells me the reason Ascenders REIT and the Maple Tree REITs did better is partly because their portfolios have a higher concentration of freehold assets, but also because those REITs are larger and are viewed as being linked to Tamasic, which helps them garner a bigger investor following and enables them to raise funds more easily. In a sense, the manager is saying that ESR REIT's underperformance against these leaders just goes to prove that size and ability to raise funding does matter. In any case, one read that has done well post-merger is Fraser's Logistics and Commercial Trust. This read was originally known as Fraser's Logistics and Industrial Trust, and when it IPO'd in 2016, it presented itself as having a purely Australian industrial property portfolio. So again, there was a focus on a specific type of property assets. In December 2019, it announced plans to merge with Fraser's Commercial Trust, which, as its name suggests, owned commercial properties in Singapore. Since that merger, Fraser's Logistics and Commercial Trust, as it's now known, has delivered a total return of 35.6%, far outpacing the FTSE ST REIT index's total return of just 3%. It also outperformed Ascenders REIT, which returned only 12.5%, Maple Tree Industrial Trust, which returned 18.8%, and Maple Tree Logistics Trust, which returned 28.3%. But even in cases such as Fraser's Logistics and Commercial Trust, where the post-merger performance has been good, there was discontent among minority investors. Many of you will remember that the acquiring REIT in that deal was trading at a much higher price-to-book ratio than the target. Fraser's Logistics and Industrial Trust issued new units at a 30.5% premium to its NAV, and acquired units in Fraser's Commercial Trust priced at only a 4.3% premium to its NAV. Besides this valuation gap, some minority unit holders of Fraser's Commercial Trust also felt that the merger was taking place before their REIT had fully realized the gains from asset enhancement initiatives at two key properties in Singapore, China Square Central and Alexandra Technopark. 
These concerns about differences in valuations and the underlying properties of a target REIT not being properly reflected in the terms of a merger were also echoed in the attempted merger of ESR REIT and Sabana REIT. In that proposed merger, which ultimately failed, Sabana REIT was to have been acquired at a valuation that was more than 25% below its book value, while ESR REIT was to have issued new units at close to its book value. Minority investors were also upset that the merger terms had not taken into account a major asset enhancement initiative at the REIT's flagship property called Newtech Park. So in this attempted merger, the issue was not just the valuation gap of the units being exchanged, but the fact that Sabana REIT was being valued at less than the appraised value of the assets on its books. Lastly, in the case of Capital Land Mall Trust and Capital Land Commercial Trust, the issue wasn't really the valuation of the target REIT per se. In fact, in pure financial terms, minorities of Capital Land Commercial Trust were getting a relatively good deal. The problem was really that minorities of Capital Land Commercial Trust, of which I was one, were to end up with significant exposure to retail properties, which were under increasing long-term pressure from the rise of e-commerce. So what does all this mean for the proposed merger of Ara Logos and ESR REIT? What can minority investors do if they aren't in favor of the deal? Are there adequate protections in place for minority investors in these situations? Let me first say that as much as the recent REIT mergers have upset some minority investors, I think it's important to recognize that REIT sponsors and managers do not set out to come up with deals specifically to disadvantage minorities. Instead, the REIT mergers that we've seen reflect the changes in the property sector and in the priorities and strategies of the corporate groups behind these REITs. For example, the merger of the capital land REITs that I talked about earlier took place against the backdrop of the whole capital land group trying to diversify itself away from the waning retail property sector and get a better market valuation for itself. Besides merging its retail property and office REITs, Capital Land also recently made a big investment in Ascender Singbridge to gain exposure to logistics properties and business parks, assets that are associated with the rise of new economy businesses. More recently, Capital Land has also restructured and refashioned itself as a real estate investment manager, which has resulted in a big market re-rating for the whole company. In the case of the Fraser's REITs, keep in mind that Fraser's Commercial Trust wasn't originally part of the Fraser's Property Group. That REIT was known as Alco Commercial Trust when it IPO'd in 2006, and it was part of Australia's Alco Finance Group at the time. FNN acquired a large chunk of the REIT and its manager in the wake of the global financial crisis and renamed it Fraser's Commercial Trust. FNN was then itself subsequently taken over by Thai billionaire Charwan Srivanadabhakti, who also controls Thai Beverage. With all these changes, it's perhaps not a surprise that a decision was eventually made to merge the legacy Fraser's Commercial Trust with its newer sister REIT. Now, in the case of ESR, all of the Singapore REITs under its umbrella have histories of their own. They were all once part of other investor and corporate groups. ESR REIT itself was, up until 2017, known as Cambridge Industrial Trust. When it listed in 2006, Cambridge Industrial Trust called itself an independent REIT, that is, a REIT not backed by a major developer. Obviously, that's now changed. Meanwhile, ARA Logos was, until last year, known as Cash Logistics Trust. As ARA Asset Management and ESR came and merge, and these REITs come under the same corporate group, 
there will be an overlap of mandates that they're going to want to resolve. So I think it's important to have this bigger picture in mind. Having said that, it is, obviously, important that investors have sufficient protections. As an investor myself, I think more should be done to ensure the independence of independent directors and ensure that independent financial advisors have sufficient latitude in their terms of reference to really examine the pros and cons of these merger deals. This isn't just about setting tougher rules, which can damage the vibrancy of the REIT market, but setting higher expectations for the behavior of independent directors and independent financial advisors. Some investors have also told me they would like to see it become easier in practical terms to change the manager of a REIT. Now, these are complex issues and change isn't going to happen quickly. But in the meantime, minority investors ought to fully flex the powers they already have to protect themselves. Specifically, they should take an interest in what's happening at the public listed companies and REITs in which they are invested and vote whenever they are given the opportunity. At smaller REITs, the voter turnout is often quite low and votes by determined minority investors can make a difference. In the case of Fraser's Commercial Trust, for instance, the resolution to amend the trustee, which was part of the merger process and which did not require any abstentions, saw a total of 464.8 million units voted, with 98.5% of them voting in favor. But the 464.8 million units that were voted amounted to less than 51% of the REIT's total outstanding units. Given that the resolution required 75% support to pass, there was still room for disgruntled minorities to have made a difference if they had chosen to vote. In the case of Sabana REIT, the resolution to amend the trustee did not get the necessary 75% support. On that resolution, a total of 576.2 million units, or 54.7% of the REIT's total units, were voted. A total of 192 million units were voted against the resolution, which was equivalent to only 18.2% of the REIT's total outstanding units. So minority investors should keep in mind that they do have some power to resist deals that they feel are not in their best interest, and they should use that power. That's it for this episode of Mark to Market. You can follow my Mark to Market podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. That was an SPH podcast by The Business Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3. Any financial or investment information in this podcast is for use in Singapore only and is intended to be for your general information. Any particular investment or decision should only be made after consulting with a fully qualified financial advisor.